0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28, I mentioned on Sunday, as I gave the year-end recap and the look ahead to the new year, uh, that my anticipation is 2024 will conclude the uh, the Proverbs series, if, in fact, God delays long enough and allows us to have the year in its entirety before the trumpet sounds and takes us all home. Um, but we do have uh, about half of Proverbs 28 still, or two-thirds of the chapter still to deal with. Yeah, about two-thirds, maybe. We're going to end at verse 28. And uh, and then chapter 29 uh, we'll conclude the last of the solomonic proverbs and then we'll get into uh, augur and lemuel and uh, the proverbs that we have in chapter 30 and 31 so uh, very close and looking forward to that all right god is spirit he must be worshiped in spirit and in truth in preparation for our study this morning let's take a moment of silent prayer humbling our hearts for the authority of bible doctrine shall we pray Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you just so thankful for your faithfulness day by day, moment by moment, year by year, and here we are now in a new year giving you the praise and the glory uh, for everything that you do in uh, exalting your Son and working in and through us that which is pleasing in your sight. We call upon you now on this occasion to once again manifest your faithfulness and uh, teach us through the teaching ministry of the holy spirit open our eyes open our ears soften our hearts might we receive the word implanted father that's able to save our souls and we pray especially today as we have a look at satan we have a look at our adversary the devil and uh time a, a class comes in that regard we uh, we recognize that the angelic conflict does ramp up just a notch higher than usual so we're ready for it father we just thank you and we praise you in jesus christ's name amen all right so uh Last week, we did get through, I think, the rest of verse 9. We've been tackling these verses and moving through it, a pretty good clip, I think. We um, covered three verses last week, three verses or four verses the week before, moving along pretty well. Uh, Did not quite get to verse 10, which I thought we would, and that's what I'm going to cover here today. We've got some other good ones coming up, uh, dealing again with the rich and the poor in verse 11, Um, a good political verse in verse 12. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. And you really have two categories uh, of political leadership in your land, and it's not very difficult at all for believers with doctrine to take a look and, and recognize uh, very quickly what do they have. What do they have at the national level? What do they have at the state level? What do they have at the, uh, at the local level? Is, is our government righteous or is our government wicked? So we'll deal with that, we'll get a little political in verse 12, and then we get, oh, one of my favorite Proverbs ever in verse 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And this is such a powerful, uh, complementary passage to First John 1 9, uh, to other, uh, Bible verses that we have as it relates to the doctrine of rebound or the, the biblical confession of sin, if you want to call it that. Um, he who confesses and forsakes i think that forsaking gets overlooked and a lot of christians ignore it when they think that well just confessing it is enough even if they don't they haven't forsaken it and they don't intend to forsake it they they fully intend to keep doing it and uh, they have every intention to keep doing it while they think that, well, just, for, just confessing it is enough to be back in fellowship again, uh, we're, I'm going to spend some time with this, and we're going to see the nature of confession whereby it has to include the forsaking. It cannot include the willful, defiant intention to continue in the, uh, in the sin lifestyle. So uh, that, that will be coming up as well. Then we'll have happiness classes in verse 14. Happy is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. We get uh, lions and bears, oh my, in verse 15. Yeah, so there's some neat things coming up. Stay tuned for that. For today, though, let's center on verse 10, because I think we wrapped up everything in verse 9. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. And so this is how um, you can have a prayer life that God hates as much as he hates everything else that he calls an abomination, from sorcery and witchcraft to homosexuality to everything else that the Bible refers to as an abomination. Your prayer life can become abominable, and uh, it comes uh, from the, the, as a reflection of your humility before the word of God. Are you listening to the word of, of God? Are you attentive to doctrine? that uh, if you close your ears to doctrine, God will close his ears to your prayers. And that's the consequence. That's the divine judgment. And I think most especially uh, when I've encountered different believers that have come to a point where they think they know enough. They think that they've learned enough. And over the years, they've learned so much. And they believe that, uh, that, that they don't need to learn anymore. That They're now kind of retired as far as learning doctrine goes. And I don't get that. I, I absolutely don't get that. If we're still on this earth, there's more to learn. Uh, none of us have reached the omniscient understanding of the totality of the infinite word of God. And so it's, it's staggering to me that folks will turn away their ears from listening to the law, especially those who should know better in, uh, in that regard. Even his prayer is an abomination. And so we talked about the hindrances to prayers. Uh, this is the fourth reference and final reference to Torah in this chapter and uh, presenting us this, this concept related to the hindrances of effective prayer. And uh, so, yeah, we looked at this, we looked at these earlier Proverbs. Psalm 66 is a favorite. This one went back to an old vacation Bible school I attended, I think as an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old maybe. Um, if I regard, And the way I learned it was if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. But this uh, New American Standard translation is if I regard wickedness in my heart, Likewise, Psalm 109, Isaiah 115. Even when you spread out your hands in prayer, will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. And that's what it is. You're out of fellowship. You're carnal. You're, you have to be cleansed. The only thing he's waiting for is, the only thing he'll listen to is your confession. Okay? And unless it's a confession, he's not listening to it. Isaiah 59. It's not that his hand is short. It's not that his ears are dull. It's not that he's hard of hearing or can't hear. It's that he's choosing not to. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Keep in mind, these are all saying the same thing. Sins and iniquities, it's the same thing as turning away your ear from listening to the law. When you turn away your ear, that's a sin because you're commanded to, to to hear. He that has an ear, let him hear. So when you're turning away your ear, you're sinning by turning away your ear from listening to Bible doctrine. Micah 3, four. he will not answer them. Instead, he will hide his face from them. Zechariah 7.13, just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. That's the, the corollary. If... Uh, You're going to ignore doctrine when the Lord is calling, and then he's going to ignore you when you're calling. John 9.31, God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. So there's your fast track to uh, an effective prayer life. It's the fear of the Lord, obedience to doing his will. And finally, 1 John 5.14, the confidence we have before him, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. All right, and that gets us then to... Verse ten, he who leads whoops, he who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. All right, now I don't know why I have that gap there. Is that something I put there, or did the Bible put that there? That just looks awkward to me. There we go. <laughs> All right, that's just the software trying to make the text larger. He who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. All right, now there's uh, several things we can do with this verse. Again, broad generalizations. Um, I think before I get to that, we could at least address the A part and the B part. Um, Like all Proverbs, they are uh, giving general rules for how things normally work, general rules for the Christian walk, and you can view the, the he, who in a human application, because there's no shortage of those uh, brothers and sisters that, uh, or false brothers and sisters that will be leading people astray. That's very common, tempters and temptations. Uh, leading uh, the, the upright into, uh, into the pit and falling into their own pit in the process. Okay? That's, that's a very common thing. But the blameless will inherit good. And again, you can view this in strictly human terms. You can talk about, well, what is the relationship between the upright in the A part and the blameless in the B part? How is it we're structuring this poetry? How is it we're giving the, the uh, synthetic and the uh, synonymous and the antithetical parallelism and all of that? And I think um, most of the commentaries actually go there and, and treat it fairly well. Uh, but then something else hit me as I was praying through this and looking at this, um, that actually what we have here is a very striking and specific usage whereby we're looking at the the tempter and we're looking at the blameless, and we're actually seeing the applications that as they would apply to Satan and as they would apply to Jesus. That we could view the tempter not just as a an everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill tempter, but we can look to the tempter uh, par excellence. We could look at the tempter... the the archetype of all temptation that is our adversary the devil likewise the blameless we can look to uh, human beings and and mature believers in the faith and those that are walking in the fear of the lord and living the word of god Um, there are human beings that are called blameless you have descriptions of that with noah and uh, daniel and job and there's other uh, you know we we were all striving to have a, a, a christian walk in that regard Um, Or, like we did with the A part of the book, you could talk about the blameless as the the pinnacle, the par excellence, the the archetype of maximum blamelessness, which obviously is Jesus, okay, the the sinless and perfect one that that came to uh, accomplish what we could not do. And the more I looked at these things and saw the parallels there, I thought, well, exactly. This is this is the angelic conflict in a nutshell. Are we going to follow after Satan with his tail sweeping away and follow after the, the path of, of self-promotion, or are we following the Lord? Are we going to walk the walk of humility and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt us at the proper time? And that's what it really comes down to. And so, for my outline then, and my notes, I chose to just simply highlight those issues um, and not really give any points to, the, to the, uh, the more mundane human applications here. But to get a bigger picture and to, to address these things, I think it's useful for at least one class, maybe more, but for at least today, to, uh, to remind ourselves that we are in this conflict and that uh, Satan is the one who leads the upright astray. And he didn't stop once he uh, tempted Eve and got Adam and Eve to fall. He still to this day is a tempter. He still to this day is a roaring lion, very active. I think he's very active in many churches in different ways, leading the upright astray. And so I think it's useful for us to see that. Uh, Will himself fall into his own pit, okay? So spoiler alert, good news, the end of Satan is what? the pit, right? He's done. He has a destiny in the lake of fire. It is the fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And that ultimate destiny uh, is unavoidable, uh, even though he thinks he can find a way out of it. He thinks he can find a way to win. He thinks he can cause God to admit that God made a mistake and that Satan was right all along, and that God will somehow repent and not cast him into, uh, into that lake of fire. So some of those things will be worth reminding ourselves about as well but then the blameless will inherit good okay and i don't know if that reminds you of anything but you know to me it's reminiscent of the the beatitudes when jesus talks about how the the meek shall inherit the earth and we can talk about different things the inheritance that we have in christ based upon his victory and uh and elements there so let's uh let's start with these and see how far we get um obviously the application with respect to Satan, not enough that he falls, not enough that he rebels. Remember, misery loves company and rebels like a crowd. That's, uh, that's always true, that uh, to sweep away a third, he would have swept away more if he could have, that uh, you always want, because you feel better about yourself if other people are siding with you in your rebellion, in your defiance, in your insanity. And the more people that side with you, the, the more you can rationalize and justify your own darkness. But, we have a, a statement that's made here in Psalm 82, and the highlight is in verse 7, but really all of uh, these first verses here are worthwhile. Psalm 82, I, would, I really want to teach a whole series on this someday to really plunge into the, the depths of the angelology that's here. I think I, I risked losing the whole pace of through the Bible when we hit this psalm because I could have stopped for a month and just focused on Psalm 82. But God takes His stand in the midst of His own congregation. That is a, a an in, man. Is that profound? He, God is taking His stand. So there's a meeting taking place. There's a divine council. It's in the heavenly places. There's a there's a, a congregation. There's a moadid. I think it's moadid that's there. No, it's a leda that's there. All right. And in any event, it's a congregation. And, and my suspicion is the disciples might have had this verse in mind when Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. And they might have asked themselves, was, was there a reference to this psalm in Jesus' mind? They didn't have a clue what the coming church age was going to be all about. Um, pulling this open just to see what the Septuagint does with congregation there. just too small. Ah, I call it a theus diakrine. Oh, no, there it is, sunagoge. Sunagoge. In the synagogue of God. Interesting. All right, we'll, we'll let that go. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the gods. Okay, it's translated as rulers. We have a footnote there. All right. I am just messing up this morning. So let's leave well enough alone. And somebody remind me not to try doing that again. (laughs) All right. God takes a stand in the midst of his own congregation. Takes a stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers, in the midst of the gods, okay? Footnote, it's Elohim. Okay, footnote, the gods. And this this becomes a point of contention. How do we translate the Elohim here? Who are these gods that's not Elohim himself? Okay, because this is Elohim, takes a stand in his congregation. He judges in the midst of the Elohim, the other Elohim that aren't him. Okay? And we understand Elohim with singular verbs is the one true God, but Elohim as a crowd are the other gods, the angelic beings that are created gods. They're created Elohim. And some of them are called Elohim, some of them are called Beneha Elohim, the sons of God. And so you have gods and sons of God that, uh, that are clearly created angelic beings. But still, they're called gods. And this is where Jesus just threw it right back in the Pharisees' face when uh, they were accusing him of blasphemy. And he, he says, well, how come he called them gods? And they didn't have an answer for him. Okay? Anyway, so he judges in the midst of the gods, the Elohim. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So this is God taking a stand, and he has an accusation he's making. He's he's letting these Elohim have it because they're falling short. They're actually perverting what it is they should be doing. And he's calling them out. Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. He says, you're not doing that. You should be doing that. Do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. You're not doing that. You should be doing that. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. You're not doing that. You should be doing that. So here's Elohim. You know, it's kind of like a pastor in a deacon's meeting. You've got, a, you've got Elohim, and he's in a congregation in the heavenly places with these, the, the mightiest of all the angels he ever created, the Elohim, the other Elohim, okay? And he's chewing them out. He's absolutely convicting them for what they're doing. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now, there's a couple of things we can do with this. They. Is it a rebuke to the Elohim, or is it a rebuke to the the uh, people that the the weak and the fatherless, the afflicted, the destitute, the weak and the needy, the uh, the ones that are that need to be delivered out of the hands of the wicked? In other words, these these angelic. Beings that are supposed to be having shepherding duties and, and, and responsibilities, uh, they're, they're, they're dropping the ball. And because of that, you have ignorance. And you have uh, the, the people there on the earth that are, that are struggling. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. I said, you are gods. And again, this is where Jesus quoted it. John 10, 34, you can find some other references. All of you are sons of the Most High. Sons of El Elyon, the Most High God. Nevertheless, you will die like men. Okay? You understand why I'm excited about this? You understand why there is such a depth to this text? This, this is some, you can't ignore this text if you're going to try any kind of a comprehensive angelology, a comprehensive uh, outline of the angelic conflict. Because this is um, this is the Lord letting them know that, that, that they've failed. Okay? They've fallen short of His glory. They're not doing what they've been designed to do. You are gods, you are sons of the Most High, and even with that, They've fallen short. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. So, a um, couple of things to deal with here. Recognize, of course, Satan, and like the proverb said, is preparing a pit. He's going to fall into it. Uh, he does have a destiny. And it's a destiny of, of a fall. It's a destiny of an eternal uh, incarceration. It is in fact a death in the sense that we understand death as a separation not in the sense of, of uh, you know because uh, uh, angels are immortal and angels uh, don't have physical bodies they have, they're have beings of spirit uh, the idea of an angel dying but here's, here's the judgment you will die like men men die, you're going to die and fall like any one of the princes alright so Work to be done there. And, and when do we understand this? Do we understand this as pre-Adam, that all of this rebuke is taking place? I do. This is all pre-Adam. But the design, when, when Adam is created, when the realm of mankind is is announced, when it's prophesied, when, when, they're, when they're given instructions related to it, when they're told that there's another created realm on the way, a new created realm that's going to be in God's image, and then they're told that the first shall be last and that, that they're going to serve they're going to serve mankind? Satan was having none of it, okay? And neither was a, you know, like I say, a third of the, of the angels that went with him in that. The, the idea that, it, that they were preeminent and glorious, but then they were designed to be subservient, to follow and to serve, unthinkable. So you will die like man, you will fall like any one of the princes. And you have to deal with this. Death is a separation, separation from the holiness of God, separation from the presence of God, separation from the spirit of God. Think about, I mean, we we can relate to spiritual death simply because as unbelievers, we were spiritually dead. Now we're believers, now we're spiritually alive. But we're still, we're body, soul, and spirit. And, And our aspect of spiritual death, I don't think we have a clue what it would be like for a spirit being to have spiritual death. To have a spirit being like an angel to then be severed from his connection with the Spirit of God. Because he's not body, soul, and spirit. He's just pure spirit as a spirit being. And then to be a spiritually dead spirit being. Anyway, you won't die like men. And that's... Uh, there's, there's more work to be done on that. All right? Just letting you know. It's not like... Um, you can't ignore it, and you also can't say that this is a chapter where the Lord is rebuking human beings, where the Lord is rebuking kings or princes or great rulers of, of humanity, okay? Because the people that are very uncomfortable with angelic passages, they will take these Elohim references and Ben Elohim references, and they will try to assign them to humans, They'll try to assign them to great champions or kings or rulers as human beings. But you can't tell a human being that he's going to die like a human being and make that any kind of sense, right? You know, like when I tell my, my girls, you throw like a girl. And then my girls would say, well, Dad, I am a girl. I say, Okay, well, that's why you throw like a girl. I'm, I'm glad. But if you tell a man you're going to die like a man, well, I am a man. Of course I'm going to die like a man. You know, tell a dog he's going to die like a dog. Tell a cat he's going to die like a cat. You're, you're, just, you're, you're making nonsensical statements that aren't really threats and aren't really at all judgments. This is clearly a judgment to an angel that he's going to die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Okay, And we'll see some of these crowds coming back as well. Uh, Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. And so because they're falling short, he appointed them into those positions, but they fa- they're failing. And so now he has to step up. He's being called by the psalmist to step up and to accomplish what they're falling short in. And it's like we have in other passages where when the shepherds of Israel fall short, the Lord says, all right, I'm going to step up and be a shepherd because the shepherds of Israel are failing. All right, so we have that. More work to be done, but we'll let that go for today. Uh, Isaiah 14, very well-known passage. The key verse is verse 15. Nevertheless, he will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Marvelous parallel with our proverb today. Remember, this is all in parallel with Proverbs 28.10. He who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. All right? So as long as we're talking about falling into a pit, well, look at, look at what we have here. In the Five-Eye Wells passage of Isaiah 14, where Satan's rebellion is documented, we have identical language related to falling into a pit. You will be thrust down to shale to the recesses of the pit. I think we know this passage. I think we're, we're uh, familiar with it. But just in case... Again, I don't mind going to this. This is um, useful, especially in, in our day and age. I really think over the last 40 years, there has been a trend in, uh, in churches to try to de the Bible, to try to minimize angelic understanding. And, and it's, it's, you see it everywhere. The answer in Genesis. It's like, what angels, right? They're all about humanity in, in the book of Genesis. Anyway, there, there's others too. Um, So uh, Israel has a future. They're going to have a kingdom. And when they enter into that kingdom, they're going to be taunting. And they're going to have a uh, a song to sing. And uh, they're going to take up a taunt. So when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say. And so this is a song they're going to sing as a taunt to inaugurate the millennial kingdom. Remember what happens in the millennium? Satan is bound and he's thrown into the bottomless pit. How the oppressor has ceased, how fury has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers. Just breaks them because he has his own staff. He has his own scepter. Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron. The kingdom is here and all the, the rebellion that preceded him is thrown down which used to strike the peoples in fury and with unceasing strokes, with, un, with subdued which subdued the nations in anger with unrestrained persecution. The angelic powers and the dominion that they have over this fallen world is, is brutal, and they hate humanity. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into shouts of joy. And we're told in Romans 8, creation is groaning. They, they're waiting to be delivered, waiting to, to be set free in the revelation of the sons of God. Even the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon saying, since we were laid low, no tree cutter comes up against us. Creation has some things to celebrate when Satan is laid low. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. Oh, they've been waiting for this. They can't wait. Okay. Remember, all of the occupants in Sheol right now, they're, they're gnashing their teeth, they're weeping, they're, they have all the regrets and all of the anger and all of the selfishness and all of everything that they have in, uh, in their judgment. And can you imagine um, how it galls them that Satan himself isn't with them yet? <laughs> Why is that snake not here yet? Okay. Why am I suffering here and that snake is still out there? So they're excited. I've been waiting to see you. Can't wait, right? It arouses for you the spirits of the dead. All the, and these are the Rephaim, all the leaders of the earth. And those were the, the princes, I think, that got mentioned when you will fall like men and uh, like any one of the princes that was mentioned in Psalm 82.7. And so you have the, the Rephaim. These are the disembodied Nephilim the leaders of the earth, the great princes of the ancient world. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. Every king, every conqueror, every, every demonic um, thug, tyrant that has ever had dominion on this earth, from, from uh, Cain to Nimrod, to, um, La- or in between Cain to Lamech to Nimrod to uh, you name it. Keter, Leomer, any of, the, any of the, uh, the tyrants in world history that conquered, Alexander, Caesar, whoever, conquered with satanic empowerment that are in shale right now, they're going to be excited when, when Satan finally joins them. Okay? It rouses for you the Rephaim, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their throne. They will respond and say to you, even you have been made weak as we, you have become like us. you will die like men, you have become like us. This also is particularly hurtful. You have become like us to the to the satanic rebel who said, "I will be like the most high god <laughs> nope didn't make it, did you you're not like the most high god you're like those guys that you ruined, that you led, that you manipulated in your, uh, in your rebellion. You have become like us. Your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Pomp and music. You know, one thing you've got to say is his religion, uh, the various religions he's had for all of human history. They've had great music programs, all <laughs> right? They've, been, uh, they've had a lot of fancy buildings. They've had very beautiful art and architecture and a lot of pump and a lot of music. Why is that? Well, Satan himself was a musician and he fosters that in his religious servants. All right, then brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you. Worms are your covering. I like that. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. These are the titles that he has, some of his personal given names. He's got many, but these personal given names, the Latin Vulgate calls him uh, Lucifer, right, the shining one. Uh, of course, Latin is not original. The Hebrew is Halal Ben Shachar, okay, and the Halel part of Halel Ben Shachar. I think the... Uh, Hebrew Halal shining one, shining one, always about brightness, always about fame, the halal roots of scripture, even even the halal root that underlies hallelujah is still talking about praise and shining and fame and glorious things right and and this is uh this is where Satan rebelled because he was so glorious and he was full of himself, thinking he was he was you know. He had reason to boast over being as awesome as he was. No, God made you that way. There's no no boasting in in what God did, right? Boast in the Lord. You can't boast in yourself. Anyway, Hillel. So the imagery of brightness, the imagery of fame, all of that sits within the vocabulary of Hillel. And so this, uh, I have to confess, this is the closest I've ever found to Bob in the Bible the closest I've ever found to Robert. The name Robert has two elements, and those elements are brightness and fame. Isn't that sad? Okay, so you have Rob and you have Brecht, and uh, from uh, an old Teutonic pre-Proto-German language, and uh, you have brightness and you have fame, and you have, it's essentially, you have the etymological equivalent of Hallel ben Shachar, And so I finally found Bob in the Bible, and it's the fall of, it's the fall of Satan, and uh, that's, uh, that's pretty gloomy, right? I mean, that's even worse than sharing a birthday with Benedict Arnold. I mean, that's just horrible. All right. You've fallen. You're a fallen creature. God said you were going to fall, and you have. You have fallen. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. And again, there's nations that we were familiar with in our day and age, but there were nations before us. There were nations before Adam. all right. There were kings and nations on the angelic earth before Adam. And some of those things are worth paying attention to as well. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. That's the one that I think is key. It's the it's the middle of these five-eye wills. It's the centerpiece of these five-eye wills. It's, uh, I think, the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north is the right hand of God. And this is the seat that He's not entitled to. This is the seat that Jesus was given. Either way, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like El Elyon. I will make myself like the Most High. So there's this rebellion, nevertheless. And all of these I wills are followed by a great big you will, okay? Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you. Remember I told you God invented show and tell? He's still doing it. And he will do it forever in the lake of fire. He is doing it even in his absence. It's set up for the display. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a wilderness? Remember the Tohu Wabohu of Genesis 1 2? The destruction of the angelic earth? The, the, uh, the shattering of the angelic rebellion? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities? Who did not allow his prisoners to go home? You know, I think about what Hitler was doing as the war was closing in on him and he had all these concentration camps and he had all these, he had Bonhoeffer and all these other guys in, in these places and he didn't want them to be liberated, didn't want them to be rescued. And so what do you do when you're not going to let your prisoners go home? Yeah, okay. And so as Satan's warfare is coming to this tohu wabohu conclusion, what's he doing to these uh, prisoners that he's taken? And, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what was their rescue? What was their uh, deliverance? More work to be done, don't you think? Okay. All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. And so here's a, here's a concept that even the mightiest kings, that, that they do eventually die, and then ideally... They want to leave behind them a monument, a statue, a tomb, a mausoleum, something where people for hundreds or thousands of years can just keep going there on pilgrimages and pay visit and, and whatever else right and I think uh was it Napoleon or was it um was it lenin I think it was lenin he insisted that that his um his uh Tomb was going to be lower. It was going to be there was a circle. That was London. There was a circular uh, thing there, and the visitors could come in and watch. And his body was, and there was a sculpture over top of the sarcophagus. And but everybody coming in, they had they were in a in a mezzanine area, and you had to look over the rail and you had to look down to see him. And he wanted that. That was his. He wanted every head to bow when they came to his presence in. Uh, <laughs> In his death, every head will bow, okay? Anyway, so all the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you have been cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch, clothed with the slain who are pierced with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a trampled corpse, okay? We're going to see some other stones as well, the stones of fire, the stones he used to walk in the midst of. He's not walking in the midst of those stones anymore. Now we have the stones of the pit. You will not be united with them in burial because you have ruined your country. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers not be mentioned forever. Right? We have the brood of vipers, the seed, the offspring, the seed of the serpent. We have, of course, the Antichrist will be the, the serpent seed. There's other... Uh, references to uh, to his people, and there's no eternal remembrance. Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter, because of the iniquity of their fathers. They must not arise and take possession of the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. That's the divine judgment for the angelic rebellion. And who is it? It's not angels. That will inherit the coming world of which we speak. It's Jesus Christ and redeemed humanity. All right, so we have Isaiah 14. We also have Ezekiel 28, another passage that gets ignored. Key verse in verse 15, I'm going to back up to verse 13. Even more, I'll back up against verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. And just as Isaiah 14 was a rebuke against the king of Babylon, really it was a picture of... It was a picture, excuse me? Isaiah 14 was a rebuke against the king of Babylon, but it was a rebuke against Satan, Okay. Ezekiel 28 is a rebuke against the king of Tyre, but really it's a picture of Satan. Understand the human kings are just the puppets. The power behind the throne is Satan himself. And it doesn't matter. Don't, don't get all caught up with, with the, the Babylon reference. Don't get all caught up with the Tyre reference. Don't get all caught up with the Assyria reference. Don't get all caught up with the Rome reference. Regardless of what the human kingdoms are, it's always Satan and his network of fallen angels that's, that's leading the rebellion against the Most High God. We've got to be clear on that. All right. So, Son of Man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection, or you were the sealer of perfection. You are, you could take this as a title. If we had Halel uh, Ben-Shachar as the uh, personal given name, here we have Chofim uh, Tachinoth, I think it is, which is the title that he had. The one sealing a pattern. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So who is it that was created perfect and then fell? okay. If it was only, only two humans can be described this way, that being Adam and Eve, who were not made perfect, but they were made sinless, okay? But they fell. But here is a being that is perfect, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. All right, well, that narrows it down, <laughs> okay? Again, Adam and Eve are the only human beings that were ever in Eden, and they were in the earthly Eden. I don't think this is even the earthly Eden. I think this is the, the pre-Adamic angelic Eden that's mentioned here. The garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Right When Adam was naming the animals and he found some of them had fur and some of them had scales and some of them had hide and some of them had feathers and, and he's given names to all these animals. There weren't any animals that he named that had rubies and topazes and diamonds and pearl and onyx and jasper. Okay, this is, this is an angelic being of tremendous beauty and glory. You can also read these stones, and you can see the uh, the effort of the high priest in uh, in Leviticus. Okay, so there's a curious parallel for you. Seems to be that there was a priestly ministry that this prophet king, angelic prophet king, ha- uh, had. So, uh, yeah, Satan was a prophet, priest, and king. Okay, what, is that a shock? All right, what's Jesus? All right, we we see how these things come together. So uh, the lapis lazuli, turquoise, emerald, gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day you were created, they were prepared. All right, so there's no animal, there's no fish, there's no bird, there's no uh, Adamic terrestrial creature that, uh, that looks anything like this, okay? With gold and gems and settings and sockets and workmanship, clearly this is not An animal, or a a fish, or a bird, or any creature of the Adamic terrestrial uh, reality. But on the day you were created, they were prepared. All right, he's a created being; he's not a begotten being. He is a created being, which again limits it to a, a, a small select. Adam and Eve are the only created beings in the human realm. But in the angelic realm, all of them are created. They're all individually created beings. There are no begotten angels. And then we're told, you're a cherub. You were the anointed cherub. Now, you're not anymore, but you were. When you were created, and originally, until you fell, you were the Messiah cherub. And it's the only place ever that the Hebrew Mashiach is connected to an angelic being. And he's called the Mashiach Cherub, the anointed cherub, who covers. That's his duty. Cherubs are always covering right their wings stretch out and they cover the whole the uh mercy seed and the holy of holies the the cherubs that cover uh in the tapestries in the uh in the uh, veils in the different artwork we even have uh, cherubs that cover when we see the uh the carrying of the chariot of God and they cover their face and they cover their their feet and they cover um the the chariot anyway uh, cherubs are are, are Designed to be covering ones, and Satan was a covering one, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God, so that's where he was placed, and he didn't like it. We already saw the five eye wells. He didn't like it. He didn't like where he was placed. He wanted a higher placement. He didn't like being on the holy mountain of God because there were there were beings above him. There were celestial beings. There were clouds. Uh, There were were cloud angels and heavenly angels. And sometimes we break it down into celestial and terrestrial angels. Some of the spirit dimension beings that we call angels uh, were not heavenly. They were designed to be on the original angelic earth. And Satan didn't like that. Being one of those? No. Why are they above me? Well, because I placed you there. You have a problem with where I placed you? (laughs) Yes, Satan had a problem with where God placed him. And many of us do too, right? We we rebel against the geographic will of God or we, we decide that our plan is better or we don't like being where he puts us. Well, stop, okay? You'd rather be in the permissive will? You want to see the overruling will? How about if you just follow the directive will and go where you're supposed to go? Anyway, I placed you there, but you didn't like it. You are on the holy mountain of God. Another reference to a priestly ministry. It goes well with the gems that he's covered with. Uh, you walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Okay, I really struggled with those for years. Ralph clued me into something, though, when he said, think about the stone that the angel used to purify Isaiah's lips. When he said, oh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then an angel comes along and says, oh, I can fix that. And he takes a uh, like a charcoal from the fire and with these tongs, and he touches Isaiah's lips. okay says, all better now? You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Now, this is a verse that cannot apply to any human being other than Adam and Eve, right? Because none of us were blameless from the start. We were all sinners from the start. And we weren't created, we were born. But here's a created creature who was blameless until he wasn't. He was blameless until unrighteousness was found in you. Remember, he said in his heart, it was internalized until it was exposed and then it became verbalized and then after it was verbalized and and he gathered the third of the angels with him, it then became overtly exercised. All right. Ooh, that was good. It was internalized, it was verbalized, and it was ex- externally exercised. Okay? Wow. Write that down. Somebody needs to trademark that. that can. <laughs> All right. So you were blameless until you weren't. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Remember, God's the one who looks upon the heart. There's nothing hidden from him. These things are exposed. All things are laid bare. The eyes uh, of the one with whom we have to do now, let's get some more details about this fall. Because I think you put them together, you have the Isaiah message, the Ezekiel message, you combine them, you've got a very comprehensive fall of Satan narrative that not only shows what he was thinking, but shows what he did. By the abundance of your trade. Aha. So we, we see that he's involved with commerce. He's involved with economics. He's he's uh, Not only does he have... Temple responsibilities in uh, a you know, priesthood with, with uh, the mountain of God uh, placement, but he also has trade, right? And this is more than just personal economics. This is more than just household purchasing. This is trade. You were internally filled with violence and you sinned. We're going to see more of that trade coming up, but involved in, and we have nations and we have kings and we have peoples and we have trade. And it's abundant. Nothing wrong with trade. Nothing wrong even with abundant trade. But when the trade does become abundant, look out. You're approaching the realms where pride will, uh, will precede the fall. So you were internally filled with violence. And you sinned. So not just unrighteousness that's found in him, but a violent unrighteousness, a, a, um, a uh, destruction unrighteousness. A, a, an unrighteousness that is motivated to bring harm to somebody else. Well, why do that? Well, the abundance of your trade. Maybe Was there a trade deal that you couldn't get done without the violence? What are you doing? How are you resolving these things? You resorted to violence? You think might makes right? There's a being more mightier than you, Satan, and you're about to find out. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. Cast you as profane. Profane is the opposite of sanctified. It's the opposite of holy. You don't belong on the holy mountain of God anymore because you are now profane. Your unrighteousness has been discovered and you are expelled. You are cast out. You are profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub. So he's cast out and he's destroyed. The power that he used to have, he has a a fraction of it. He's actually destroyed. And he'll get some of it back. He'll have some of the restraint lifted. He'll have some uh, in the tribulation. He'll have power to even resurrect the dead and to exalt his Antichrist. But for now, he's a destroyed, cast-out creature from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. All the things that you might be proud of Wealth, beauty, power, whatever else. And you get really proud of it. You get a a lifted up heart. No, it shouldn't be your heart lifted up. It should be your eyes lifted up. And they should be lifted up in worship of God. You should give honor to whom honor is due. Your voice should be lifted up to praise the God for the great things he has done. But no, it's his heart that's lifted up. Impressed with himself. Impressed with his beauty. Well, doesn't have to worry about that anymore. He's an ugly creature now. And when he appears as an angel of light, it's a disguise. It's a disguise because his true form now is as ugly as it gets. The gems are gone. The beauty is destroyed. The, uh, the, he's now the, the Leviathan dragon creature of, of uh, Job 41, and there's no gems there. There's no beauty there. There's just power and ugliness and darkness in that Leviathan dragon portrayal. How about this phrase? You corrupted your w- wisdom by reason of your splendor. He didn't lose his wisdom. He didn't just become stupid. He's still genius, always has been. But this wisdom is now corrupted. And that's even worse. All right? Because he still has... But now instead of a sanctified holy wisdom, now he's got a twisted, perverted, darkened, uh, crafty, violent evil wisdom. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. That's why I say he's insane. He's out of his satanic mind. He has corrupted wisdom. He's insane enough to still think he can win. That's how insane he is. And so I cast you to the ground. We've already been told he's been expelled, cast as profaned. He's been removed from the midst of the stones of fire, But now I cast you to the ground, I put you before kings, that they may see you. Now, again, God who invented show and tell has a reason to not put him in the lake of fire right away. He has an unfolding demonstration of Satan's darkness and rebellion. He's put before kings to be seen. He's the object lesson. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade. All right, earlier we were told it was abundant. Now we find out it's unrighteous. The unrighteousness of your trade—they weren't fair trade, fair, fair trades. They weren't even deals. Were they unequal scales? The law condemns that repeatedly. Were they? Uh, was it fraudulent business dealings? Was it? What was it? Multitude of iniquities, unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Again, just like with the gemstones, the priestly language, the holy mountain, everything here top to bottom speaks about a priesthood. We have language for prophet, priest, and king throughout both Isaiah and Ezekiel here. And notice there's plural sanctuaries. That's interesting. What Was that the holy place and holy of holies? Well, how do we get plural sanctuaries here that he profaned them both or profaned them all? How many did he have? And he profaned them with unrighteous trade. Does that remind you of anything? Think about the money changers in Jerusalem. Think about Jesus when he flipped over those tables. I mean, he did go rather berserk on that occasion, on those two occasions, actually. Jesus was... And in, that wasn't normal for Jesus... Clearly, flipping over tables and making a scourge of a uh, whip of, of cords, and, and, and that was the most forceful, energetic um, zeal that we've ever seen of Jesus in the gospel records. And as a reflection of this, I have to conclude, my conclusion now, I can't prove it, but my conclusion is, as a reflection of this event here, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. That Jesus Christ had seen it before, and now we seeing it again with these money changers. I, I don't know. Maybe okay. I do think though that he did lay aside his privileges. He didn't tap into omniscience. He didn't have perhaps the full memory of Satan's fall, unless God revealed it to him, unless he was given a prophetic vision of this. He would read Ezekiel. He knew his scriptures. You profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I brought fire from the midst of you. Remember, the dragon breathes fire. But now God takes that fire and bursts it through every pore of his hide. (laughs) How destructive does that get? So instead of breathing it out your mouth and directing it externally, it just explodes from within and consumes your entire being. I brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. What a great illustration for he who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit. <laughs> okay? Satan is the tempter, and Satan has a, has a destiny of destruction. In the eyes of all who see you, all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. All right, he's got his destiny in the the lake of fire. All right, Uh, Jesus refers to this. I'm almost out of time. Matthew 25, 41, sheep and goat judgment. He's going to tell the sheep, come on into the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he says to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan has a pit, and he's uh, God will put him there at the proper time. Revelation 20. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's not annihilationism. They don't cease to exist. They have uh, eternal conscious torment, ECT eternal conscious torment for all eternity. All right, so that's Satan. Um, I'm out of time. Next week, we'll, we'll touch on those, the verses of Jesus Christ. Remember the corollary, the tempter is thrown down, but the blameless will inherit good. The blameless will inherit good. And thankfully, he won't be alone in his inheritance because he brings many sons to glory. He won't be alone. He laid down his life that, we all can share in the glories that, uh, that are to be revealed. So the blameless will inherit good, and we'll give this. Sorry to leave you on the, on the bummer, uh, on the, all the negative for a week. We'll come back for the positive next week, and uh, we'll see the happy things that we can look forward to. Because Not because we deserve it. None of us deserve it. You, what we deserve is what we just got finished reading. We, we deserved everything Satan had. But because Christ accomplished what he accomplished, and it's given to us as a free gift, We're going to have the happy verses next week to look at with respect to the the grace and glory to be revealed. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for truth. The word is truth. I give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.